I'd also tell people, be careful to compare. So I remember three years in, and it was like two separate instances where I was talking with other business owners. And one of them in particular, she was, I was three years in, she was two years in. Her company was $3 million. I had not broken a million. I just thought, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I must be an idiot. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm never going to be successful. Why am I doing this? How is it going, ladies and gentlemen? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you back to The Way of the Wolf. Our guest today is someone that I just came across recently. We had a brief conversation about a week or two ago, and I was just blown away at the company that he has built, the team that he has built, and what he and his organization focus on. His name is Matt Kroll, and he has started a company called Chalmers Street Consulting. They focus on operational excellence and really employee engagement and developing members of the teams that they work with. So Matt, welcome to The Way of the Wolf. Thanks, Sean. Glad to be on. Okay. One of the things I like to do, let's start off with sharing a little bit about yourself. Can you tell the guests who you are, how you found yourself starting this consulting business? Sure. I'll, uh, I'll uh, try to make it a little brief so you don't have to hear my whole life story but um i'm uh let's see i'm a a, a long time process improvement um nerd uh i really enjoy the idea of improvement um i i have an industrial engineering degree from northern illinois university uh even before that though i worked for my dad's uh lawn service uh gosh probably I was probably answering phones for him when, when I was 11 or 12 years old. Um, yeah. And, uh, that probably gave me my first insight into thinking about things as processes and thinking about how those processes can be improved. And I suppose the, the, you know, the economics of improvements, um, and, and, and all that. And, and so when I went into, um, when I went into engineering, I chose industrial engineering because it has a focus on process. It, the the focus of people, how how people work, how we organize people to do work, the tools that we give them, um, and how to make it better. And so that was that was really uh, engaging for me. Uh, and then I. I left, well, I, I graduated from college and I went to um, work for Motorola and Motorola has always been really a strong process oriented company, uh, really strong manufacturing, at least at the time that I was there and got to go through their lean and six, at the time it was a six Sigma program, but I got to learn six Sigma from the company that invented it. And that was really impactful for me. And I, I think you know, between that and the time working with my at my dad's business, I knew that I wanted to I wanted to have a career that focused on improving and helping people improve, and I wanted to strike out and and do something on my own. Um, I spent sixteen years in corporate, and so you know I would say I, I really valued learning from you know large companies that 
knew how to, to organize um, and, and execute. Uh, but I always wanted to take that knowledge and bring it, um, outside into, into my own company. And, and eventually what I had decided to do was bring that capability into the mid market. Uh, you know, my, my hypothesis, which, which has proven to be true is that, you know, mid market companies, though smaller, still have the same challenges in collaboration and organizing and executing process uh, as large companies do. They have a need for the kind of techniques and approaches that I applied at Motorola um, and uh, and other companies, and 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 probably the only difference is their size means that they probably need it more in a, in a fractional. At a, in a fractional way. And so I, I built the company around that idea of, of I've started to call it like a fractional lean office uh, for mid-market companies. And that's really seemed to, to stick and do well. So that's, you know, um, you know, aside from uh, my lovely wife and, and two kids that are basically grown, one of them out of the house, you know, that's, that's kind of the whole story behind me. Okay, perfect. I appreciate that. So you touched on something that is very important. And I just had a realization event that we've never had an lean or six Sigma master black belt on the show. I know of a few, I have a green belt, but we've never had a black belt on the show before. And for those, right, of you I'm glad to be your not, first. <laughs> yeah. For those of you listening, we're not talking about any sort of mixed martial arts. No. <laughs> Can you share more about what is lean? What is yeah. Six Sigma? What is Master Black Belt? What does this mean in the operational excellence world and process improvement world? Yeah, how long is the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> we got about so, an hour. Okay, all right. Well, uh, I've actually been teaching this. So I, I started teaching this at Motorola. Um, we They used to have Motorola University. Um, and we um, uh, we had really fantastic content for teaching uh, Six Sigma and then eventually Lean as well. Uh, and so you, it, it, you could, I could spend five days, kind of, and I do, uh, talking about you know, what this is. I think to try and boil it down, um, as, soon as, as soon as work started to move from pure craft to um, re repeated... Uh, activities, um, uh, standardized products. Uh, there was a need for people to study how we how we do our work, right? Not just the not just the craft part, but the the repetitive nature of the work and the management activities of organizing, you know, hundreds of people. Uh, and some some of um, what I've read puts you know this kind of thinking starting back in the 1500s in shipbuilding. Um, more, uh, more texts really say, you know, a lot of this thinking started with Toyota and the looms that they manufactured in the late 19th century, uh, Henry Ford and mass production concepts, um, Frederick Taylor, um, uh, Lillian uh, Gilbreth, like all of them were the, I guess, the trailblazers in thinking about how we organize work. And, and so essentially that's, that's when we think about Lean and Six Sigma, it's how we organize work and organize the management of work. It's kind of like maybe management science is maybe another way to, to say it. 
And so if you kind of look through the 20th century, uh, we take a lot of um, early concepts on how to best do work and and build upon them. Like Frederick Taylor looked at, you know, what was the most efficient way for a person to to um, move things around, right? Motions, like how, how can we optimize motions? And that's pretty darn mechanical. If you look at um, uh, kind of the World War II consultants who helped bring um, the U.S. manufacturers uh, up to speed as their whole workforce left and went overseas, and now they had a new workforce, uh, they focused on humanizing work, thinking about, you know, you know, it's some days people come to work and they don't really want to do it. So how do we, how do we get them in the right mindset? And so, uh, it's, it's all these techniques and approaches, um, that we can use to better organize getting, getting that product or service into the customer's hands at, you know, the lowest amount of effort, the highest quality, um, and recognizing that the there's always, you know, no matter how much automation, right? And I, I stay pretty uh, up to date on automation. And, you know, now we have automated knowledge work with, uh, with AI. Um, no matter how much automation we create, there's always going to be a human component. So figuring out how to motivate people uh, to look at their work, make it better, solve problems, um, uh, you know, the, the, the more that we can make products and services accessible to people all up and down the, the income spectrum. I, I always tell people, you know, we associate Henry Ford with the automobile, but of course the automobile was maybe a hundred years old by the time Henry Ford came along. What he did that was so significant was he made that automobile accessible to everybody, right? A farmer could go buy an automobile now and could drive to see their cousin who, you know, maybe was 30 miles away and they never saw before, but now 30 miles isn't quite so hard in an, in an automobile. Um, and so I think that's really the huge value of Lean and Six Sigma is how we, you know, we make work, if we're doing it right, we make it more human um, and we produce an output that's better for the consumer that makes things more accessible to people regardless of their of their specific income yeah one of the things that i've enjoyed doing whenever oh man i'm trying to think back whenever i actually got my green belt it was probably oh probably 10 years ago now now that i think about it so pretty good while but one of the things that i've always enjoyed is sitting down with a mid-market company that's maybe struggling in ways that they don't really understand maybe they've hit a ceiling from a revenue perspective and they just can't grow can't grow and being able to come in and start asking questions in a different way start mapping out their processes and someone like yourself or someone on your team or people on my team will be able to go in and basically just start drawing on a whiteboard okay well what happens here Okay, what's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? Whenever you start drawing these processes out on the board, you see light bulbs going off immediately in their heads of, oh, uh, actually, we can make that better if we do this first, or we can do this right here first. And so that simple exercise of mapping out those processes immediately allows them to 
visualize what's going on in a different way and understand how they can remove some of those roadblocks, how they can streamline some of those processes. And so I find that there's a tremendous amount of value in being able to come in with a fresh set of eyes and start drawing up on a board. And I have no doubt that's what you and some of the people on your team do among many other things, but it's, it's very fulfilling for me, or at least I've always found it to be very fulfilling to come in and partner with clients and genuinely help them out because of how excited they get, how much they appreciate it. And then there's a quantifiable impact. If they're getting 2X the product out the door, that's huge. And you just you made their life better and, and you're starting to build a real partnership and relationship. So I guess my question to you is, and you started your business, what, seven or so years ago? Is that, yeah, is that right? Yeah, 2016. Yep. Okay. And you, you're up in Chicago? Yep. Yeah. Outside of Chicago in the suburbs. Okay. All right. So is, is that the majority of what you and your team do, or do you kind of dive into other nuances and, and other ways of helping your clients scale their businesses? So... <clears throat> I think that's the majority of what we do. The The mechanics of it are similar to what you describe. Um, you know, I just actually uh, was at a, a potential new client today and um, they're looking at reducing lead time. Lead time is a big deal. When someone places an order, the faster they can get that out, the more likely they're going to get a sale. Um, and the mechanics of it are we're going to go in and do some discovery. Um, just like what you're saying, there's problems typically all around us. Uh, we don't always put the right eyes on to see them. Uh, and so both because we're an external, right? And we're going to come in and just see some things that they don't, but also because we're going to take them out of the day-to-day -day grind and say, hey, what do you see around you, right? That's going to expose uh, opportunity. And so, so, you know, we're going to go do process maps. We're going to interview people. We're going to collect data. Um, we're going to compile that into summaries, uh, visuals, charts, um, graphs, things that help people kind of internalize that information. Uh, and then we're going to work with them uh, to, to root cause, because usually what we see on the surface is just a symptom of something greater. We're going to work with them to root cause and identify some of those causes that are are going to have if we if we resolve them are going to have the biggest impact. So those are those are come up with our solutions. And so essentially, that's our approach. That's that is a classic Lean Six Sigma approach. You can call it Plan Do Check Act. You can call it DMAIC, which is Define, Measure, Analyze, Improve, Control. You know, you can whatever label you want to put on it. It's frankly, it's scientific method. It's it's studying something, understanding that something, um, taking some action and seeing if that action has the, uh, like you said, has like a two X improvement in, in, in your, in your lead time. Right. And we've done mm -hmm. those things. Like we've, we took a company and, um, they had like a, a two day or a three day lead time when we walked in and we got them down to a same day lead time, which allowed them to go after new business and charge a premium for that, right? And so there's there's real money, and that's super exciting. There's another piece to that, like you're saying, is that all? Is that you know the core of what you do? Yes. the The other piece, though, there, the underlying piece, I always tell our clients, like, 
we don't come in just to solve a problem and leave, right? There's there's folks that do that and they have lots of solutions in their pocket and they're going to throw those out there and and you can just grab those problems and run or solutions and run. That's that's one form of consulting for sure. Uh, that's not us though. We're um, we're going to help the client's team solve the problem for themselves so that they become problem solvers. And we're going to create, we have long-term relationships with our clients. We're going to create a, um, a routine, a habit, a discipline around constantly looking for those things that are broken because they're all around us all the time. We're just not stopping to look. And so my team is going to come in and go, hey, when was the last time that you all did a waste walk, right? Oh, it's been a month. Do you think anything's changed in the last month that maybe there's some new waste out there we should find? Let's go see if we can find new defects that are around. Let's go see if we can find waiting time, transportation time, um, you know, uh, uh, extra processing, any of the things that we know exist in our processes, emerge as processes change, but have to be actively uh, sought out and then uh, root caused in order for us to solve and stay uh, stay lean. Uh, and so so we're helping both with the mechanics, but we're also creating a mindset and a culture in the companies that we, uh, we engage with. Okay, so we've talked a, a good bit about Lean and Six Sigma and a lot of the, the topics that we're dancing around are really more geared towards manufacturing and distribution. Now there's a whole nother world or many other worlds in terms of companies that you work with. Do you work with any consulting firms or do you work with other verticals that don't necessarily manufacture and distribute physical products to get out the door? And how do you work with those types of organizations? Because Many people think of manufacturing distribution whenever they think of operational excellence, but I know there's an entirely different world of businesses that don't distribute products. So what does that look like for you and you got your team? Yes, the answer is yes. In fact, I spent um, six years. So I was at Motorola from 1999 till um, just about 2011. Uh, and then I spent 2011 till I started this business at a uh, company. It was called Navtech at the time. Um, they've changed their name, but uh, they uh, produced geographic data. So I want to say 165 field offices around the world uh, collecting data on street names, addresses, speed limits, um, you know, points of interest, anything that you would go search Google Maps for, you could search in our Navtech map. And we would compile all that information and sell it to BMW, Mercedes, Volkswagen, uh, so they could produce a, navig a navigation map for their, for their customers. Uh, and I built a, basically a greenfield, um, a continuous improvement program there uh, and, you know, it was a place that was largely, uh, largely software engineers and geographers. So definitely not the typical kind of manufacturing space that, that, uh, that you, you might expect the approach, you know, and people in my field will all say the same thing. Um, you have some 
some raw material of some type, right? In uh, in building maps, it's information. Information is the raw material, and you convert it to something else. In building maps, it is putting it into a database where it's now a road geometry or it's now an address or something like that. And then you have an output that you create, right? For that, it was you know licensed data that 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 um, BMW could use. So we pretty much look at everything that goes on, frankly, inside of society. I used to work with police departments, uh, and they have to process um, records, right? Um, they get all these records in on a daily basis, and those records have to be stored and have to be accessible. And the faster that they can do that, the more likely they're going to catch somebody who's uh, who's done something wrong. Uh, and so uh, we pretty much can apply this in all kinds of fields. Uh, and today... Um, yeah, we have largely a big chunk of our business is manufacturing and distribution. Um, we have uh, financial services uh, customers well. Um, we have done work with IT services companies. Um, this is actually the second financial services company that we've done work with. So it's it's universally applied. And frankly, frankly, I apply it in my own business, right? I mean, I'm a I'm a small business, but I'm always looking at okay, you know, how much of my time, because this is another really important piece of what we do. Uh, our view is that the, you know, the human mind has infinite capability. And the worst thing I can do to somebody is put them in a mundane job where they're doing the same boring task over and over and over again, right? I should look to automate that or eliminate it. And what I want people to do is to be solving problems and thinking. And as a business owner, my job is to be constantly solving the next problem, which may be, how do I get the next sale? Um, but it may also be, shoot, I have too many sales, right? Not that you can ever have too many sales, but I have so many sales, I need some help, right? And so how do I, um, how do I build resources that can, can help me execute? And so I take this to my own work and go, well, okay, how much time am I spending doing invoices? How much time am I spending budgeting? Um, how much time do I spend putting together content for LinkedIn? Uh, how much time do I spend servicing the client? Where is my most highest, where's my highest best used use of time? And if I look at those tasks, I break down my week into a set of different tasks, um, which ones are consuming a lot of time, but maybe not producing a lot of value? Could I offload those to maybe somebody else, maybe somebody that can do it more effectively or efficiently? Uh, can I automate it? Can I eliminate it? So I take this into my own small business and use these same these same concepts. I, you know, um, data is uh, is our starting point in continuous improvement. I need facts and information. Uh, I track uh, down to about the five minutes every five minutes. Uh, what I'm doing throughout the day. I know how exactly how many hours I've worked in a year and I can tell you how many hours went into business development, how many hours went into taking care of clients and how many went into managing the business. Um, and so I, I really use these concepts that I'm talking about in my own business. So that's a really long way of saying it's universally, uh, universally uh, applicable. Yeah. All right. We're going to go down this rabbit hole. Being an entrepreneur, one of the things that I have seen fellow entrepreneurs or we'll say even business leaders in the mid-market space, 
the leaders of these organizations don't always focus their time and energy on the items where they have the most leverage. If you are great on the sales side of things as a business leader, but you're over here creating content, you're not being very effective in terms of using your time where you have the most leverage, or maybe you're filing reports or you're maybe you're even consulting, but you're better mm -hmm. on the sales side of, of things and the business development side of things. So what I want to do is talk through that as well as weaving that into the topic of building and developing people. Because earlier in the show, you mentioned how your team will come in and then work with your clients and, and almost teach them how to solve problems so they're not fully dependent on you guys. So we're going to kind of shift the conversation a little bit more towards the entrepreneur entrepreneurs that are listening today. And I want to get into that. How do you work with a business leader that is not focusing their time in the right areas? <laughs> um, I mean, so I mean, probably need to answer this two ways. So typically when we're brought in, we're brought, we're, we're not necessarily brought in to solve that problem. We do see that problem. And when we do, it depends on who has it, right? So if the person that brought us in has that problem, it's a little more delicate discussion. Um, if it's someone on their team, then it's a fairly straightforward discussion of just what I just what I was explaining. What is their highest best use time? So, um, you know, for example, uh, we were brought into an underperforming facility, and within about a day of being there, I, I, I sat down with the uh, with the vice president over the region, and I said, you know, you have a general manager problem. Like that's that's really the that's really the issue that you've got here. Um, and in that case, it was working with that general manager, um, to change the way they, uh, they prioritized. Um, it's not always that easy, right? Because people tend to prioritize the things that they like. I think you were kind of hitting on that. Like, this is what I'm really good at. This is what I really like, but it may not be what you need. So that's, that's the, that's the standpoint of, um, from a, my consulting practices perspective from a strictly entrepreneurial perspective, I, I want to answer it, um, in a few ways. So one answer is when I look at myself, I have to look at two things. I have to look at what I'm good at doing and I have to look at what I need to do. And sometimes those things that I need to do, I'm not good at doing. Uh, we have to improve on our marketing um, at Chalmers Street. Uh, we've really set out this year to, you know, create some budget around that and go do it. Uh, that is not my strength. And so I've partnered. Uh, and that's that's what I would recommend to any of the entrepreneurs out here is, you know, I think the partnerships that I've formed over the last seven years are a a significant component aside from obviously my clients <laughs> that keeps me in business because um, they fill in the gaps that I have. Uh, they take care of stuff that I'm not quite as good at. Uh, and so, uh, so I think, I think that's a piece of it. 
I guess the other part is recognizing, you know, we're, we're, none of us are as self-aware as we probably need to be. Even if you feel like you are very self-aware, you're probably not as self-aware as you need to be. <laughs> so, you know, who is it and, and, and part of my language, but who is it that calls bullshit on you? Uh, yep. right. Who, who is that person? Uh, that comes in and says, I have a, a sales coach that I've used for seven, six, whatever, six, seven years now. Uh, and uh, he helps me, uh, one, when I kind of get into a funk where I'm, I'm just not feeling like things are going right and helps me pull out of that, but also helps me go like, Matt, you know, why are you spending so much time on this client? Like you've got people that should be handling that client. You should be over here, you know, figuring out how we, you know, how you grow new great great consultants that can help you with other clients. Why are you doing that? And I go, Oh shoot. You know, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention. I was talking to, um, a partner of mine yesterday and, and he since, uh, recently kind of stopped working with, with one of his own clients. And I said, well, what, what happened? And he said, uh, he's all over the place. You know, they, they, he's got some great ideas, but he just can't see them through to the end. I, you know how often I hear that? And the problem is, and this is, um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the entrepreneurial um, operating system, EOS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I think that's a great system. Um, and and what that teaches and what I fully agree is there tend to be entrepreneurs that are visionaries and then uh, entrepreneurs that are integrators, right? Yep. And we might all have a little bit of both. But we, you know, we, t- I tend to be more of an integrator, right? Mm-hmm. Which means I need to have some visionaries around me so that I can always make sure we're driving to some greater purpose. Otherwise, we're going to get really boring and stale. But likewise, right, this, this partner I was talking about, like, and I told him straight up, I said, this individual, that you're, this client of yours, you need to tell them they need an integrator because they're all over the place. They're never going to finish anything. They may have some fantastic, great ideas, but they're never going to be able to execute on those and really realize you know, the success that they could, um, because they can't focus long enough or, or break it down into the chunks that are needed in order to execute on that vision. Is, is that answering your question? It absolutely is. And this is such a great topic of self-awareness. Hmm. And there's a few different things that I want to touch on in regard to everything that you just shared. I have a friend of mine. He's an entrepreneur. He is hands down the brightest idea guy I have ever met in my entire life. I'll have a conversation with him and then a few months later he comes up with this idea and the things that you would just never imagine. And uh, <laughs> I am not an idea guy. Mm-hmm. I am more of an operator or integrator. I'm I'm great at improving processes, but if you throw mm-hmm. a blank whiteboard in front of me, I'm going to stare at it and start drooling. I just You're going to go work. that's a whiteboard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And so he and I were having a conversation and it was kind of a a brutally raw moment between the two of us. We've been friends for probably eight or 10 years, something like that. And I said, Hey man, you know, it's a great idea. What are you going to do from an execution perspective? And he looked at me, he's like, what do you mean? And I said, Hey, you are the brightest idea guy I've never, I've ever met in my entire life. But from an execution perspective, you get started and then things kind of just slow down. I said, I think it's going to be important if you want this to really get some legs and start moving for you to partner with somebody that can be that operator, that can be that integrator. And <laughs> I I could see the look on his face and I thought, ooh, man, that, that 
cut kind of deep. He and I came back around, had another conversation a few weeks later, and he admitted to me that he knew that I was right, but he has always wanted to be the operator. He said he's been the idea guy his entire life. He wants to be the operator. And I said, man, there's nothing wrong with being the best idea guy in the room. You just need to be able to partner with that operator. And so that's a great story that leads me to my next point, which is how important it is to have trust with the people around you. And you said earlier about self-awareness. Not everybody is as self-aware as they think they are. And mm -hmm. so it is vitally important for you to have people that you trust, whether they are partners outside or there are people within your own team in your own organization. And just a few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with my team and we were talking through strengths and weaknesses of, of all of us. And it finally got to me and said, okay, well, I, here's what I think my strengths are. You guys tell me what my weaknesses are. And there's a little bit of a pause and there's one person that kind of raised their hand, which I kind of suspected it would be because I have a great working relationship with this person and they shared, well, Hey, here's some things that I'm seeing. And I acknowledged it. It was a little bit difficult for me to hear in the moment because what that person described used to be a strength of mine. But as I have evolved through my career, my strengths and weaknesses have evolved along with me. If you mm -hmm. are a data center architect or a systems engineer, you're going to be in the weeds. You're going to be developing things and programming. As you grow as a leader, your strengths might turn into effective communication and delegation and empowering people. Mm -hmm. So it's important for us to know as we move, as we grow through our career, that those strengths and weaknesses are going to change. But having those people in your circle, in your circle of trust that can work with you and say, hey, Here's what you're good at. Here's what you're not good at. I would imagine whenever you meet with your clients, that's part of the nuance of those challenging situations. If you had gone in and the vice president himself was the problem, it would have been a very different conversation than the GM. And it doesn't mean I haven't had to have those conversations, right? I mean, um, the other thing I learned early on, thank goodness early on, is not all clients are going to be a good fit for for my approach, right? For this approach, um, and you know we're not um, we're definitely not pushy, uh, and we 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 tend to try and work around you know different obstacles and so on that we run into. But if we find that the leader is part of the problem. We have to find ways to have that. Otherwise, why the you know have that discussion? Uh, otherwise, why have they why have they hired us? Um, and I find it useful. You know, we're I'm usually pretty patient, and I wait until that really good example occurs, and I say, hey, hey, wait a second, let's just take a look at what what just happened here, right? Um, you know, this person let's just say hypothetically sort of this person in the last meeting you told this person that they needed to complete xyz they came to this meeting completely unprepared not completing xyz and then nothing happened how does that look for all the people around you right how does that look for that person that was supposed to complete something so when we talk about your organization again hypothetically uh as not having a sense of accountability, right? You're at the top of the pyramid. You start that accountability 
And when that doesn't occur inside of a meeting like this, we shouldn't be surprised, right? We shouldn't be surprised that that culture happens. And so uh, that's how we've approached that sort of thing with, with, you know, when, when it is the leader that's maybe not self-aware or something. Um, and I would say because I, because we, we tend not to, and, and most of the time it's a self-select out. Like if there's a client, we explain what we do and they go, uh, that's not really, that's not really what we want. I go great for both of us. Right. Because if that's not what you want, that's not what I want to give you. <laughs> and I don't really think certainly not in the last like four years, it's occurred where we found ourselves in a situation where we had to have that kind of conversation and it wasn't, um, uh, it, 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 it was, um, it, it created friction, right? Usually with the kind of people that we're working with, they're open to getting that kind of feedback from us. That's why we're hired. Somebody recently compared us to, uh, like personal trainers. And we've also been, we've also been compared to counselors, uh, which <laughs> is not at all. Like if you go through the industrial engineering curriculum at any university, there's, mm -hmm. there, you take one psychology class, right? Which is, which is one more than the rest of the engineering disciplines. Um, but, uh, uh, we, we, you know, we are not therapists. Um, but you know, I, I did, uh, back in the corporate days, I did always have a box of Kleenex in my office because we were always pushing the limit on things and that upsets people and that creates friction. And if you're having the right discussions, sometimes, you know, people get upset and, um, you know, I think so long as, so long as you keep it fact-based, um, as long as you're you're having those conversations to help the person on the other end. Like I'm sure for you, it was sort of like, Hey, you know, the, these people, I asked for it and they're helping me understand it or, or for your other friend, right. You, you, I'm sure for that person, right. I want to do all more operations. Well, you're not, you're not great at that. That's not your, your natural skill. I'm sure like they recognize that you're doing that. You're coming from a place of trying to help. As long as you're coming from a place of trying to help. Um, I've never had that backfire in terms of a client engagement or a relationship or the trust that you just described that you're always trying to build. Yeah. Kindness and candor are like superpowers these days. Yeah. You can be the brightest engineer in the room. Once you start leading a team of engineers, you're going to have a different conversation. You need to have a different approach to the work that you do. There's a lot of ego and, and that's unfortunate. And, um, I think it gets baked in a little bit in our university systems um, that we all think we're smarter than we actually are. Uh, you don't you don't get it um, as much on the factory floor, um, but the reality is those folks have just as much reason to have ego as anybody. They're doing really complex jobs um, that you take somebody out of the management office. They're not going to be able to do a lot of those jobs out there. So why why shouldn't they have ego? But you know they don't necessarily have the um, uh, the degree that tends to produce that ego, just mm -hmm. my, Matt's opinion. Yeah. Uh, and I, I fully admit that, you know, I'm, I'm probably part of the problem. <laughs> so, so I, I mean, but I'm self aware of it. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, when, when we try and apply this stuff, you know, that uh, I actually haven't done a lot of work in hospitals, uh, but I know people that have and physicians are a really tough one uh, to get them operating a certain way because, you know, they're going to tell you that everything that they do is craft. And I don't know about you, but if I go in for a uh, knee surgery or, you know, whatever, hernia, heart, heart attack, 
I don't want you to tell me that it's craft, right? Mm -hmm. I want you to tell me that you've done it a hundred times. There's like, here's the 10 steps and we know we make sure that we do those 10 steps exactly the same way and correct every time. Don't tell me that you're doing a craft. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I think we have to check our egos engineers, a lot of the same kind of problem. Um, I haven't, I haven't really touched legal firms. Uh, I have had a call here or there. Uh, I suspect I would find a lot of the same problems. Like we all have mm -hmm. to check our ego a little bit to be better collaborators. Like you said, uh, you know, come from a place of kindness and candor. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you're going to get much better results. Okay. One of the things that you and I discussed on our previous conversation was what different differentiates us is our ability to choose our clients as much as they choose us. And we see that a lot of times business leaders will just clamor and fight for the revenue, even if it's not really a great fit. I'm curious, your perspective, how did you come around to that idea? As you started your business seven years ago, obviously making money was important, but how did you get to a place where you were comfortable with turning away the wrong type of work? Uh, bad experiences. Okay. <laughs> That's that's that bad experiences can teach our best teachers anything. I'm, I sat in um I sat in a sales training class right because after about nine months of this I realized you know I, you know I thought because I was kind of an internal consultant at Motorola I was like I probably know you know I know how to do this and after about you know six or, or or nine months I'm like oh man like I don't know how to make sales I don't I'm not sure how this works. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so I sat in a sales training class and I'll I'll never forget the um the the leader of the class says um what did he say uh he said what is a what makes for a good client profile and I said someone who's willing to pay me like <laughs> like are you kidding me <laughs> and he said you won't last long with that as your answer um and the the reason is um, you're going to do work that you're not good at, right? So you're going to take on projects that aren't your, you know, your specialty, what, what you're, what you're best at, uh, you're going to get clients that you don't like. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say, um, I've liked all my clients. Um, and I don't want to say that I've taken work that we couldn't do, but I've definitely taken some projects early on um, that someone else could have done better. But look, I mean, and, you know, if you have an entrepreneurial um, audience there, you know, you're forgiven. I'm going to forgive myself, too. Like, I got to pay bills. I, yeah. I quit a really good paying job with a mortgage and, you know, uh, two kids and a wonderful wife. And I, you know... I needed to make, I needed to make money. So I was just going to do what I had to do. Um, but it was some of those where it's like, God, I did not do a great job of this. Right. Or the client called me out that I didn't do a great job of it. Or I had, I did have a client where I was like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of dreading going to this place. Like that's not, that's no good. And, and at the same time, at the same time, I had clients that I loved and projects that I was kicking ass at. 
And so that's what did it was the contrast of those two things and being here's, and I can't remember if you and I had this conversation, but you have to build yourself a runway that you can financially manage for probably two years, maybe even three, depending on the idea. Like, look, at the end of the day, people don't wake up and go, I want to call, I want to, I want to go find myself a continuous improvement consultant. It, it just doesn't happen. And frankly, the big companies, when they, when they need our services, they go to McKenzie and they go to PwC and they go to E&Y. You know what I mean? So, so I'm going after a fairly niche space um, with a very specific offering. So it's going to take me, it took me a long time to build up the base of customers that have interest. So I had to have a good financial plan for, it doesn't mean I wasn't making money. It just means I wasn't making what I was making before. And if I had, if I had tried to live the lifestyle that I had while I had my corporate job, I would either have gone out of business or I would continue to take crappy work, right? And so I was happy with saying, you know what? I'm just not going to chase this because it's not the right thing to chase. Or I'm going to hand this off to somebody else. Sometimes they paid me a little referral fee, so that's nice. Um, but sometimes not, right? And, uh, and uh, I'm just going to keep honing my sales skill because I believed in my heart of hearts and know now that the clients are out there. I just needed the time. And so um, I would say the contrast of what it was like to have fun, good projects versus not so good projects and the financial stability gave me the uh, confidence to not chase just things that, are, that, that weren't that good. Yeah. That's a big conversation around the importance of building that runway and understanding mm -hmm. that you are not going to step out of your corporate job and then just have people knocking down your doors. It's just not going to happen. There, you know, and, but the, you think you think you are, and I had, I mean, not, I don't want to say I was too um, uh, unrealistic, but mm -hmm. I had three, four people that all seemed pretty interested before I quit, mm -hmm. uh, but only one of them came through. You know, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe we we'll say two, two came through, yeah. Um, yeah. and and that was fine. That that allowed me to keep things rolling, but it wasn't like four or five did, and. And then the next one took a while and the next one took a while. And then, you know what I mean? And you're just kind of threading it all together and going, okay, I've got six more months before I run out of money. Or I got three more months till I run out of money. Oh my God, it's pretty close. Am I going to take that contract? Yes, I am. You know? And so, if I, but, but I also, I, I sat down with my family. I said, Hey, look, this is something I want to do my whole life. My dad had a company. I want a company. Um, I don't know if it's going to work. I have marketable skills. If it doesn't work, I'll just go back out and get a job. But I want to extend the chances of it working as long as I can, which means we're going to take the grocery budget and we're going to cut it by 30%. We're going to take going out to eat and we're going to cut it by 80%. We're going to take you know that car that needs to get replaced. I mean, I, I drove the same car for 13 years and uh, put some hundreds of thousands of miles on it. And my wife's like, why aren't you buying a new car? And I'm like, because it gives me a little bit more runway to keep things rolling. And uh, and so we made those sacrifices. Um, and now, I mean, uh, now now we're pretty, now we're good. But it took it took five, six years yeah. uh, to get to that point. So. Yeah. I wouldn't okay, trade well, a thing, actually, though, honestly. 
you just answered a question of mine, which is what prompted you to start the business. And you made a comment of how you've, you've wanted to do it your entire life. I'm in a similar boat as you and I had discussed, but was there a final straw that said, <laughs> okay, now's the time. Like, how did you know in your heart seven years ago, now's the time. Now's the time for me to go ahead and do this. Uh, I turned 40. Um, my, uh, my boss or boss's boss, whatever. Um, when I first started, he started a company. Um, I want to say he was 51 or 52. Um, you know, he got to run for a bit. Um, but he's just like, it's, it's, it's a lot, man. Like, you know, you, you're going to learn, you're going to have to learn a lot. Um, you know, when you were talking about your friend and kind of him challenging himself, you know, to do something different. I always say, this is like, it's like MBA 2.0 or maybe 3.0. I, I, I don't know, but it's going to challenge every part of the, the things that you think you do well, you're going to realize you don't do well enough. And you're also going to uncover a whole bunch of things that you didn't even know you needed to do. Uh, and so um, I knew, I knew that doing that in my fifties, you know, from seeing him doing that in my fifties, uh, was going to be a hell of a lot harder than if I, than if I just got started. So that was really the catalyst. And then, you know, frankly, the, the company that I was at, it was great. It was interesting. It was, it was a little bit of a spiral of, you know, is it going up or is it going down? And, uh, I'd gotten passed over for some things that I felt like, you know, why, why'd they pass me over for this? And I just looked at it and I'm like, you know, I could keep waiting. Sooner or later, they, they seemed to like me. Sooner or later, they were going to find something good for me, something new, something different. But you know, uh, I'll find it for myself. Like that's that's and, and again, like I don't, I didn't want to leave this life without feeling like I could go and do my own hunting, right? And 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 put my own price on my own services. Uh, as much as that turned out to be a lot harder than, than what I, than I, what I thought had thought it would be, uh, it, it's, it's been more gratifying than I could ever have imagined. Man, your, re your messaging resonates with me more than you could ever <laughs> imagine. <laughs> and you know, there's, there's such an allure of entrepreneurship on social media and people think that, oh, I'm going to go out on my own and I'm going to be a millionaire in no time. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. And I appreciate you sharing that it took four or five years for you to kind of start getting your feet under you, getting your legs and getting to a place where you're actually comfortable buying a new car. And instead you were running what you had absolutely into the ground to give yourself that runway that you needed to be successful. And so I definitely commend you on that because that's something that not a lot of people have the patience for not a lot of people are willing to take that step back in their style of living and spend less money because they're always yeah. focused on keeping up with the joneses but sometimes that's what it takes to achieve great things and to be able to build something on your own in the amount of pride that comes along with that of you making your own way and kind of you eat what you kill, right? And it's all square on your shoulders as opposed to working for some big, large corporation where you're just a cog in a machine. You really know your value when you do this. Um, 
And, uh, you know, just to, to comment too on, on what you're saying there, like I, I'd also tell people, be careful to compare. So, um, I remember three years in, and it was like two separate instances where I was talking with other business owners and one of them in particular, she was, I was three years in, she was two years in her company was $3 million. I had not broken a million. And I just thought, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I must be an idiot. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm never going to be successful. Why am I doing this? And that's so terrible, right? That's that you got, again, you got to have the friends and the people around you to pull yourself out of that. That is, that is the worst kind of thinking, but it happens. It happens. Cause you know, and I can't remember the, the circumstances. I'm sure I was, I'm sure something had happened to that between that getting, hearing that and then just something else. I was just like, damn it, you know, but that is so wrong. And of course I wasn't going to give up. That would never have caused me to give up. Um, and I have a very supportive family. Um, both my, both my, my nuclear family and my extended family are very, very, so that's been really important too, but also friends have kind of kept me and, and, you know, I, I was never going to give up, but it's still, you know, you can let yourself get crushed by stuff like that. And that was a waste of comparison. There's two different businesses. Mm -hmm. There's no point in me even letting that my mind go there, but I, I won't forget that. And I would just say, don't compare. You set your own goals. The, the, um, I can't remember who said it, but it's like the, the person that looks back at you in the mirror, that's the person who you're going to have to compete against for most of your life. So, so just compete against that person. <laughs> Man, I could not think of a better way for us to start to wrap this conversation up because that messaging that you just shared, we're all on our own journey and the person that we're competing with is the person in the mirror. So what is the best way for people to contact you? Uh, look me up on uh, LinkedIn. So um, I think Matthew R. Kroll is kind of my LinkedIn um, tag there. Uh, you can always email me, Matt Kroll at Chalmers Street. Uh, there's two S's in that, C-H-A-L-M-E-R-S-S-T dot com. Uh, and uh, yeah, drop me a line. I, I, I try to make time for other people that are going into entrepreneurship. Uh, I, you know, um, it gets harder and harder, but I just really think all of us supporting each other, um, there does, who knows, maybe it's because that's the bubble that I'm in, but I think every week I talk to at least one, if not two people that are thinking about quitting their job and, and going out and striking it on their own. And I would, I would encourage it. You know, the worst thing that's going to happen is that you fail and you need to go back to your corporate job. So what, like, at least you tried. Uh, and I, I think, you know, and, and, and then I think within this, this space, you know, things like your podcast here, Sean, um, ways for people like me to get our message out. Um, the more we can do to help each other, uh, uh, grow and network, um, you know, that the, the, the more likely that we'll be successful. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have anything against large corporations. I think, uh, I think that they do a lot of great stuff, but I also think that if you haven't ever tested yourself outside of that, um, and outside of that, every two week paycheck, uh, you know, you, you just, you're missing a development opportunity. And so I really encourage people to do it. Yeah. I love it. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to come on this show. For all of you that are listening, we will have all of Matt's contact information, his social media, his website, how to contact him in the show notes below. If you have any thoughts, please feel free to leave comments in those show notes. I'll respond to them. I'll make sure that Matt's aware of them. And 
if anything comes up where Matt can help you out or someone on his team, please reach out to him. That is all we have for the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much, and y'all have a good one. Thanks, Sean. Take care.